Welcome to the Manor. Welcome to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor of Mead, Metal, and Mayhem. I'm James. And I'm Jody. And welcome back to Tolkien on Fairy Stories. There, Polly, are you happy? <laughs> I saw what you did there. Or, well, <laughs> I, I heard what you did there. <laughs> oh, I'll try to say it appropriately. I mean, I don't want people mispronouncing my last name if I tell them a thousand times. <laughs> you know, if they follow us on Facebook, they've seen me post as me and not just one of the terrors. So, <laughs> yeah. It's not like saying Slavin's going to be a big, big shock or anything. <laughs> yes, that's how you pronounce it. Slavin, not Slavin. Comes from Irish for uh, from the mountain. Yes. Anyway. I, well, I, I'm saying yes because you've told me that. I, <laughs> Actually, I, I knew it's... Uh, the diminutive sleeve is mountain. And then uh, Polly, who I just mentioned, actually did uh, back up the whole um, kind of mountain clan thing. <laughs> ah, cool. Yeah. All right. But anyway, uh, Tolkien on fairy stories. We're going to finish his essay this time around with the last section, Recovery, Escape, Consolation. Yeah. We should hopefully be able to get through this in this episode. <laughs> you will. I, I guess we'll see. <laughs> Again, we both have our notes. I have no idea how long Jody's are. <laughs> uh, not, not too terribly long, actually. Yeah, cool. Mine are short on the front end, um, but long in the back end. <laughs> so, so your notes are a mullet. No, wait. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> There's a party coming up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway. Yeah. Moving on, before we discuss Achy Breaky Heart and the world's worst mullet. Oh, God. <laughs> yep. Oh, See? God. Oh, um, okay, so uh, recovery. Uh. <laughs> so I'll, I'll go and start, but mostly because after this, I, I only have a couple little things. But I dig in this very first paragraph of this section, his tree of tales thing where uh, he, he's just happy that, you know, as an author, a student, a professor, people... Everyone, if they want to, can add a few leaves to the countless foliage of the tree of tales that are in the forest of days. And I just love that little bit. Everybody gets to add their little bit to that beautiful tree of stories and tales. Yeah, um, that's that was actually the first note I had was about his metaphor <laughs> of the tree. And he actually, he mentioned, he mentioned it earlier in the essay, um, but I don't think we really talked about talked about it at that point i think we maybe mentioned it and knew it was coming up yeah but we recorded that a couple months ago so yeah i yeah i don't either um i just i i did go back and look in my notes and i did not see that i had written anything down about it but uh he he, he also said and i love that i love that quote um i didn't quite write down that quote but i do love that quote that you just did but um uh, he he pointed out that uh analytic study of fairy stories is not required for enjoying them and in fact may actually prevent enjoyment which i think was probably what he had said earlier in the essay too yeah we talked about that a, a yeah that bit. part i know we talked about uh and to, and to kind of build on what james was saying uh something that tolkien had said was the, the pattern from bud to unfolding and the colors from spring to autumn were all discovered by men long ago that it may seem that way, that, that they've all been discovered by men long ago. But he says it's not actually so, because the seed of the tree can be replanted in almost any soil. 
And then he goes on to say each leaf, each oak and ash and thorn is a unique embodiment of the pattern. And for some, this very year may be the embodiment, the first ever seen and recognized, though oaks have been put forth, or that, though oaks have put forth leaves for countless generations of men. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love how he, he talks about it can be transferred to any soil. Uh, yeah. England, um, Neil Gaiman did a wonderful job of, in American Gods, of transferring to America. And I, I don't know. Yeah, you can do it anywhere. Yeah. And I, I kind of felt like this also harkened back to the point that he made er, earlier about the, uh, in the, the section on origins, about the soup. Mmm, soup. Yeah, it's been boiling for a long time. New ingredients are constantly being added. Yeah, I, I actually had a, my own little quote that I added to the margins because he was talking in here about some people don't see the point of, of new leaves, why we have this tree, we have the leaves, why bother? Yeah. And, and again, when I made these notes, I, I was a bit tipsy. Um, so. <laughs> you? No. <laughs> uh, um, but I wrote, why write new stories, he asked. And she responded, don't you long for a new spring even after uh, every winter? Yes, yeah, that is another excellent, excellent point. Yeah, um, I love going back and rereading old books, but I love new books too. And yeah, tell it in different ways and different viewpoints. And yeah, and um, uh, you know, kind of on that vein, you know, while some stories may be similar, and, and I think we've mentioned this before, some stories may be similar, but details make each unique. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw something in here. Or a couple of things, and I, I guess I'll start with the first one. Um, in Tolkien's own writings, he had, uh, in the Silmarillion, he's, he's got the story of Turin. He draws that from uh, the Finnish epic, the Kalevala. I think I'm pronouncing that right. And I apparently, uh, here recently, I've been reading uh, Michael Moorcock's Elric Saga, the first few books in that. Both of these, uh, all three of these stories, the, the, the story in the Kalevala, which I don't remember, um, I think it's the story of Kalervo, Tolkien's story of Turin from the Silmarillion, and Elric from Michael Moorcock's books, they all have a black sword. Obviously, the Kalevala story would have been the earliest one. And all of these characters are doomed in similar but somewhat different ways <laughs> you're doomed um so you know i think i think sometimes the the a basic outline maybe can be similar but when you start putting in new details that's when the story becomes unique so how do fairy stories help with recovery sorry i was taking a drink of my <laughs> beer <laughs> uh, oh damn well it's it's a uh, regaining of a clear view and uh, renewal of health. Yeah. And I don't um, really have many notes until we go down another couple paragraphs. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know what, I, I, uh, I tried to kind of put this in my own words. It, says it, I, it can help us reset how we see the world and it can rekindle in, in us a sense of wonder of, at the world around us. Now, Tolkien points out that there certainly there are other ways that we can do this, and sometimes I think just kind of sitting back away from something maybe can help you do that. I know sometimes if I don't listen to a piece of music for a while and I go back and listen to it later, uh, I 
I kind of sit there and go, wow, I forgot how good that was. You know, and I'm not, I'm not quite sure that's quite the same thing as what he's talking about, but I think it's similar. Kind of, you look out the window one day and the world's kind of blah. And then, you know, you read a story and you look out the window and you go, you know, that tree kind of makes me think of that tree in that book. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you should do. Or at least in a better way, you know. If you already like it, you don't have to think of it different. It's cool. The creative fan—he talked about creative fantasy that it can, because it tries to make something new. It, um, it his quote was "Open your heart." Okay, I can't read my own writing sometimes. His quote was "Open your hoard and let all of the locked things fly away like caged birds." This this so cute. Yeah, I thought so. Adorable. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is um, I like that. That's I do like that. Yeah. And he goes on to talk about a good storyteller um can can work these fantasy elements uh very effectively. Um compares them to other types of artisans and uh, also describes the effect. Um this is uh, by forging of Graham, cold iron was revealed by the making of oh, uh, sorry. Let me start that over. <laughs> By the forging of Graham, cold iron was revealed. By the making of Pegasus, horses were ennobled. In the trees of the sun and moon, root and stock, flower and fruit are manifested in glory. So just to to kind of go over that a little bit, Graham is Sigurd's sword in Norse mythology. It's what he uses to slay the dragon uh, Fafnir. And uh, the trees of sun and moon, I looked for that. I, the only thing I can come up with is that he's referencing his own stories out of the Silmarillion, which wouldn't be published until 40 years after he gave this lecture that this <laughs> essay is based on, and four or five years after he died. <laughs> uh, but th- then he, he goes on to say that, uh, uh, or to talk about how fairy stories, uh, they deal with mundane things, but by setting them in the realm of fairy, they are elevated. Yeah. And then, of course, now we get to move on into escape. Woohoo! Yeah, escape. If only I could. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he talks about how fairy stories are not the only means of escaping, or or of escaping the everyday, uh, but for some reason they are seen as dangerous. Uh, this 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 escaping the everyday is seen as a dangerous thing to do. Well, yeah. Escapist fantasy is bad. I know, right? Why would you want to not get away from the horrors of the world on occasion? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No shit. (laughs) I have to agree with Tolkien on this. Escapism is not inherently bad. No. No. So go go ahead. Well, well, I was going to say, he said that it's, well, I I paraphrased it, but um, it's important to help us cope with the drudgery of everyday life and the eventuality of our own death. Yeah, because it's coming soon. So sooner than we'd like <laughs> for all of you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh-huh. Anyway, but yeah, it, it is a good way. I, I agree with him also. He says he does not accept the atone or the scorn or pity or anything. He, yeah. yeah. Get over it. I, I like the prisoner example he uses. I mean, when you're a prisoner, do you just want to sit yes. there and stare at the wall and not dream of the outside world or, or anything? No. No, you want to get out. <laughs> <laughs> the, the next little paragraph, uh, so the next couple of paragraphs, Tolkien goes on about the robot age, 
uh, electric street lamps, a mass-produced pattern and everything. And, and uh, without going too much into it, I do have to say that I disagree with the first half of when he's talking about this uh, because he starts to ha hammer tech pretty bad. <laughs> um, yeah, so my note, just by that for big paragraph on, on his uh, things on technology, I said, relax, tech rules, more or less, kind of, usually. <laughs> But I, but I know a few of well, the last episode on this, we had talked about how abuse does not take away use and tech can be used for, for good or bad. Yes. Yes. But I will say in his next paragraph, he talks about, you know, he, he some people welcome the proximity of mass produced robot factories and mechanical traffic and everything. Uh, but then he goes on to talk about green spaces and nature and everything. And I do agree with that. I'm good with tech continuing but that doesn't mean I don't want there to be all the peaceful nature places taken away. I think we need that as well. Well, it's, it's balance and you, we, we have to find a balance. And, and I, I, I don't know that we're doing such, well, actually, no, I know we're not doing a good job of finding balance. <laughs> Let's just be blunt about that. But. And then the, the upcoming paragraph, he, he talks about, uh, he cannot convince himself that the roof of Bletchley station is more real than the clouds. And he talks about the bridge to platform four to him is less interesting than Bifrost. And I completely agree with that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, one of my other favorite authors is Douglas Adams and his quote. <laughs> is, yes. <laughs> isn't it enough to see that a garden is beautiful without having to believe that there are fairies at the bottom of it too. <laughs> and yeah, I'm good with both. With yeah. Yeah. I'm good. Yeah. I am too. Definitely. Yeah. I can look for the fairies, but I'm also okay with just seeing the beauty without expecting there to be fairies. Yeah. Well, see, but that, and I think that going back to the, even though this is an escape, I think going back to the, the recovery part and that the stories can help, you know, what, what, what I said earlier about how they can help us reset how we see the world, you know, you read the fairy story and then you look at the garden and yeah, you're not necessarily looking for the fairies, but you maybe appreciate that garden a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So although, see, there you go. Yeah. Although I would like to point out that Tolkien was very religious and Adams was agnostic atheist. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, there's that too. <laughs> so that, Their own personal viewpoints on religion may be coloring how they look at that. Yes. And maybe I misread some of what Tolkien writes. Uh, to me, it, most of his escapism seemed to be going back into history to, a better time because that, that's where he was looking and I, I do have to disagree with that unless I'm misreading it maybe I agree with him completely but I have no problem with looking back for escapism but I also have no problem looking forward uh, Bradbury Ray Bradbury one of my other favorite authors one of my yes. top five uh, he writes wonderfully about how advances are great and about how the past is great it's just you don't have to do either escapism can go in in both directions I mean Tolkien yeah. makes the point of Morlockian horror factories, but you know, it, it's not all bad. Um, I will say though, one of my favorite lines in the whole essay uh, is in this area and it's the fear of the beautiful Fae that ran through the elder ages almost eludes our grasp. So, you know, if you add magic to the past and Fae, and you know, of course that's going to make it way better. Yes. Way better. Way, way better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Of course, then there's neat little things about castles and ogres and everything, but, you know, that's okay. One of my 
little favorite things here of the the escapism part, which I actually I don't even think is always escapism. It goes in with the real world. Uh, he talks about in fairy, one can conceive of an ogre who possesses a castle hideous as a nightmare, for the evil of the ogre wills it so, but one cannot conceive of a house built with a good purpose. An inn, a hostel for travelers, the hall of a virtuous and noble king, that is sickingly ugly. I, I kind of agree with that, but to me some of that is you know, a good king will probably have a beautiful castle, of course. An evil king or an ogre will have a, a hideous castle. Mm-hmm. But I can imagine pretty well an inn or a hostel not really being all that beautiful, except that it's there for the warmth and comfort. And that warmth and comfort offsets any poor aesthetics that may go with that structure. Yes. Yes. I would agree with that. Especially tonight. Oh, and is it cold down there too? <laughs> Not as cold as it is up where you are, but yeah, it's cold. And I, it, I don't, I don't mind the cold as much as some of the other people around here. But <laughs> oh, I don't. I mean, yeah, you're from further north, but you've been down there long enough that I'm sure you've acclimatized fairly well too. <laughs> now, this whole next section, uh, I I read. Um, he talks about the fall, and he capitalizes the F. So I'm yeah. fairly certain that's the, the Catholicism coming out. So I, I as a, um, I don't know how you want to call me a recovering Catholic, a former Catholic, I grew up Catholic, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of good with skipping over that because if we ever do a podcast on that, I want to make sure I have notes that accurately portray how I feel without utterly pissing everybody off from all over the spectrum of that. <laughs> anyway. Good uh, luck with that. Well, yeah, yeah. So we probably won't do it. But but in that part there, he talks about frog princes and how it's absurd and, and it's kind of nasty and everything. But I like how he points out that princes aren't frogs. The princes are humans that were turned into frogs. Yeah. So when the princess kisses the frog, marries the frog, whatever she has to do, she's not doing bestiality. No. There's, she's breaking a spell. Yeah. There's that <laughs> enchantment that she's yeah. breaking. Yeah. Because enchantment, as we remember from last time, comes from elves. <laughs> yeah. One of my, uh, another one of my favorite lines here is that this is one of the notes of the horns of Elfland and not a dim note. I mean, I just love that idea of music coming from the horns of Elfland and drawing you <laughs> in, into the yeah. story or into Elfland itself. Yes. He had a lot of good metaphors in this essay. <laughs> I, I, I like them so much, I'm not even going to do the joke. Uh, okay. And lastly, there's the oldest and deepest <laughs> desire. I told you I'm not going to do it. The, the, the great escape. And this is the last bit on escapism. And, and I love this bit. Uh, but the escape from death. And, and we've touched on this a fair bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, so fairy stories are not stories made by fairies. Fairy stories are made by men. And, and then, of course, I had a note. So man stories are made by fairies. And about four or five senses down, yeah, yes. Yes, man stories are made by fairies. And I'm like, wow, what do you know? I'm the smartest Tolkien. And that was the beer talking, but nonetheless. Uh, but yeah, I even wrote down as I'm reading this, I'm like, oh yeah, I wrote a big yes. I'm like, yeah, it is. What do you know? And, and just like fairy stories are an escape for humans into the realm of fairy for that magical enchanted wonderment. What the fairies never get to have? Death. So... Man stories yes. written by fairies would be uh, escape from deathlessness. And huh. as much of a grief as I give her, 
if you want, it's not a modern man story or fairy story, but if you've ever read Anne Rice's Vampire Chronicles, you will see that same type of thing because after a while the vampires yes. get tired of eternal life. Yes. So yeah. yeah, in the end, whether we're human or fairies, all we really want is the consolation of the happy ending. Yes, fairy stories should always have a happy ending. And that leads us into... <laughs> Consolation. <laughs> da -da -da. That, that actually is my first note, uh, what we just said, that fairy stories should always have a happy ending. Um, Tolkien said that tragedy is the true form of drama. And I said that's another reason drama and fantasy don't work well together. Uh, he goes on to say it's... Uh, okay, so... I, I kind of broke that up a little bit. Tragedy is the true form of drama, its highest function, but the opposite is true of fairy story. So what would the word be that we use for a fairy story then? Eucatastrophe. And we did not coin that. Tolkien did. Tolkien. I will try to pronounce it correctly. It, I will try to pronounce it correctly, at least while we're recording. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just have to all the time. Or um, <laughs> he coined the term eucatastrophe uh, for fantasy uh, to serve as the opposite of tragedy. And you um, know eucatastrophe comes from? It's philology. Yes, it is. And this was the word that we mentioned earlier that would be one of the words that Tolkien created on his own. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and all he did was he took U, uh, EU, which is Greek yeah. for good, and catastrophe for downturning, and mm -hmm. a, a good downturning. Yeah. Uh, he, he went on to say the eucatastrophic, you, you, hang on, hey, the eucatastrophic <laughs> tale, because, because, I mean, you just, you look at eucatastrophe and you don't want to pronounce this th correctly. Okay. The, the, the eucatastrophic tale is the true form of fairy tale and its highest function. Yeah. As opposed to the thing I said earlier about drama and tragedy. So, yeah. So, you know, he, he does define it as the, the good catastrophe, the sudden joyous turn. Or, uh, in other words, in one of the earlier episodes on this essay, we talked about the juniper tree fairy tale, fairy story, where the, the boy returns to life at the end of the story. That's the eucatastrophe that's the turn is something like that yeah uh when we talk more about the hobbit too we will use eucatastrophe because tolkien used that method in the hobbit too yeah yeah and so yeah the joyous turn tolkien references as even there is no true antony fairy tale which is something that we'll talk about here in a moment but not quite yet yeah he talked about the the eucatastrophe exists with the dicatastrophe or sorrow and failure possibility of these is necessary to the joy of deliverance uh, is what he said about that. Yeah. So to have that eucatastrophe, you have to have that dicatastrophe possibility that, that you may fail, but at the end you have that turn and it's good. Yes, it is. So good. So joyous. It gives you that fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief which is actually, yes. I, I didn't just make that up. That's Tolkien's religion. <laughs> and of course, some of that could be Tolkien's religion. But I also like that joy could beyond be. the walls of the world because it reminds me of Valinor. 
Yeah, I was going to say that again. That's uh, probably a little bit of the Silmarillion stuff creeping into it. <laughs> yep. Um, and of course, in the same little area, if you want to see Tolkien's religion come through a little bit, he does talk about the final defeat and talks about Evangelium. And, you know, yeah, he, he definitely does give his Catholicism a workout here. Yes. And maybe that's because the, because when I was in high school, when I first read this essay, I didn't know so much about his background. <laughs> so a lot of this stuff just kind of went over my head. I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? <laughs> what? <laughs> so as James mentioned earlier, uh, the happy ending is not the true ending. The stories go on, although they will go on with new characters. And if you've read or at least watched the films of The Lord of the Rings, you'll remember there's a scene where Sam... Samwise Gamgee starts talking about um, all the old stories and the heroes from the old stories and then realizes they're in the same story. I, I love that. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you have a happy ending for those characters, but the story goes on. More characters come in and leave as other characters come in behind them. Yeah, like leaves on a tree. Yeah, or trees that grow from seeds <laughs> that fell <laughs> off the tree <laughs> in, in, in a different <laughs> nice in a different yeah yeah see wonderful metaphor this, this tree of tales <laughs> hey manor dwellers this is james i'm just jumping in because as usual jody and i rambled on even more than we thought we would so we're going to finish up this piece which actually wraps up the main section of professor tolkien's on fairy stories essay uh, but we will come back with sort of a final episode on this that wraps everything up where we talk about the epilogue and our thoughts on all of it all together and uh, a couple of other bits. So we will see you again very soon. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. Yay! Uh, notes. Notes. Don't need notes. I might. Otherwise, I won't know what I'm talking about. That won't help. <laughs>